Hiya, and welcome to another edition of The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. Whether you're listening on Lisburn's 98 FM, Bangor FM, or FM 105 in Downpatrick, you're more than welcome. Uh, remember, you can listen to all our old episodes with my eclectic mix of special guests on Audioboom. Uh, just search Lisburn's 98 FM or The Jewel Case. You can also get it on your phone, on your Google Play, or your iTunes podcast as well. Now tonight... We are in the Mac in Belfast. We are in a room called The Den. It's very cosy. We have lots of nice plush sofas and cushions because with me are two very plush, nice, comfy uh, friends. <laughs> two artists. I was actually going to have them on separately as two different episodes of The Jewel Case, but it just so happened that they both have some cool events happening this weekend. One is a film show at the Belfast Film Festival and the other is a really cool music and sound art event on the black box. But they'll tell you more about that in a minute. It's Conan McIver, local filmmaker, and Claire Hall, local DJ, events organiser and ultimate party queen. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> so if you can't tell, Conan, say hiya. Hi. I'm Claire. Hello. Um, so we've got ourselves together, Mac. We've had some tea and coffee and uh, you're really, really just raring to go. I was chatting away and you were like, John, put the mic on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, let's get this all down on tape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, actually, Claire, you, you had a little story there uh, when the mics weren't rolling about being, being a bit of a radio nerd in your uh, formative years. <laughs> when I was a child? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You want to hear that story then? I do, Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I yes, okay. We were talking about maybe like, do people still listen to the radio? And I still, I do think they do. I think radio is actually a brilliant medium for me. Like I'm constantly listening to Six Music or podcasts or whatever, but that probably stems from my formative years listening to Longwave Radio Atlantic 252 before shout I went out. to sleep every night. Yeah, shout out. Uh, <laughs> also, yeah, was there not a thing on like, was it Kill FM used to do like a late night dedication thing as well? They did, yeah. yeah. All the kids in my class used to say who they fancied and yeah. stuff on that. I mean, I was always waiting, always waiting <laughs> for a dedication, but never got it. Oh, and Conan, you, do you ever listen to radio or podcasts? Or yeah, no, I, I'm I'm obsessed actually. Yeah, to, during the day, actually, I'm really born because I listen to Talkback and and Nolan and everything. But do you? Yeah, I'm, I, but I really lo- I love politics, so okay, I'm obsessed with all those things. But then, like podcasts, I really got into serial, and so I started this kind of fascination with podcasts, and yeah. so now I like just devour everything. Any yeah. good podcast at the minute you're listening to? Well, I had been listening to American Life, and uh, oh no, sorry, The Moth. Moth, yeah, that's a good one. It's, uh, it's only just discovered that recently, actually. It's like storytelling, long form Story, storytelling. Storytelling, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's it's quite interesting. They have quite interesting characters on it. You know, like a lot of well known people, but very unexpected stories and things. It's very it's very different. It's like it's unlike any other like chat show or anything. Yeah, podcasts are great because you get stuff that wouldn't get aired anywhere else. Um, just because people can like just download it or whatever. Um you get these really interesting chats that happen. And obviously that's what happens on the jewel case here with me, <laughs> John Darcy. <laughs> so um, this weekend, we, bo- we both have some really cool things happening. Conan, you have your film, which is showing at Belfast Film Festival. Yeah, so I have a short film, Good Boy, which is screening Saturday morning, 10 a.m. as part of the Belfast Film Festival Shorts 2 program. Okay. In QFT. film's called Good Boy and... Directed by myself and written by my partner Michael Daly, and it is—it's a very restrained film. I think you know it's quite a quiet film. Have you seen it? I saw it when it was premiered at the 
QFT first yeah. time round. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, it's interesting because it's, it's been out, you know, doing the festival thing and we keep missing like the cutoff for when we make these films and then we miss the cutoff for the festival. So this is actually, it's probably going to be one of its last screenings, I'd imagine. Okay. Um, so it's nice. It kind of has a wee bit of a homecoming, you know, it kind of comes back to where it started because that's almost yeah and it has um you sent it to a lot of different festivals about the place because um obviously friends with you and michael on facebook and he's posted every now and again that it was in los angeles film festival or chicago film festival and it's been winning awards and different things yeah i mean it's you know it it's had a wee life for itself so we're we're pleased with that and i think off the back of that you know it really encouraged us to you know keep making films together because it was a bit of an experiment the the two of us working together because Michael's a doctor, uh, you know, I make films, but, you know, this is kind of Michael's first foray into screenwriting. Yeah, and that's an interesting story because he's a heart doctor. Cardi- right? Yes, cardiologist. Cardiologist, yeah. that's the... the <laughs> a heart doctor sounds like a, like an agony love, uncle or something. Like Dr. Phil, a love doctor. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Michael likes to say he mends the broken hearts. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, he, and he got really into screenwriting. Or like he wanted, he wanted to write and then um, somehow this collaboration came about. How did that work? Well, I think what happened was that I had been making, you know, because I work a lot in, you know, video art and installation and, and so on. But Michael was kind of asking why I wasn't making narrative, you know, short form um, fiction films. And I had done and I, it was just a kind of a, I had a bit of a hiatus from doing that type of work. And I just was struggling to find you know, because I'm not a writer myself, or at least I haven't kind of committed to writing anything. You know, I need to kind of find material that I want to work with. And I kind of was struggling to find stuff or it wasn't kind of coming to me. So Michael really wanted to write something. And he was like, if I write something, would you look at it? And I was like, sure. So he wrote this script and very soon, <laughs> like quite quickly into the writing process, I realized it was, it was something I really, our sensibilities were quite similar, you know, in terms of storytelling so so yeah so we developed that we got funded through NI Screen which was amazing and uh, I made the film and then now you can't stop us <laughs> yeah and there's another one in the works as well so we, we just shot well we finished one in February called Mother's Milk and Cookies so now it's going out in its real life hopefully out to festivals so um, fingers crossed by any chance it'll have a screening next this time next year in the festival. You really need to get this filmmaking process that a couple months earlier, right, though, to get it submitted. To yeah, it's, it, it's funny because, you know, when it comes out, it does kind of start to miss some festivals. But I kind of, you know, it has kind of worked for us in terms of, you know, it, when we're shooting these things, because we tend to, sh- we've been shooting them kind of November, December, January, you know, and that kind of, kind of when people are starting to kind of ramp down. So you can, you can get crew and get people, you know, Right. While, you yeah. know, normally, you know, once Thrones and thing, you know, Game of Thrones and things start to like ramp up and like... Suddenly uh, the whole industry... It's suddenly you can't get yeah. anybody. So January is like a good month, um, I find, to do stuff. Except for the weather, obviously. Well, <laughs> we're, we're, some, we're actually here on the, uh, in the Mac and it's one of these really high ceiling rooms. There's a little bit of echo, which you'll, you'll probably hear in, on, on our voices, but there's lovely lights sort of casting through. It was blinding Claire earlier. You've been blinded by the lights, Claire. <laughs> Yeah, blinded by a light, bit sunburned. Um, what, what you've got an interesting event, and I don't, I don't want to say what it is because I'm ex- not exactly sure what okay. it is coming up this weekend. 
it's part of the Jam Jar series. Yeah. Okay. Um, organized by Garcia Uzonian and Una Monaghan. Yeah, um, I think actually it's primarily Una now. I'm not right, sure okay. Garcia is a part of it because she's not based in Belfast oh, anymore. Oh, that's right. He's away. Shout out Garcia. We miss yeah, you. No, Garcia, Belfast lost. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so it was set up, I think last year was the first run of it and it was curated by... In a Gassia and um, I can't say Gassia's surname, so I'm sorry, Gassia. Um, <laughs> I don't want to pronounce it wrong. Um, and also, I think Isabella Anderson was involved in it as well and will be again in this current series. Cool. So, as far as I was aware, as I said, last year was the first year of it. It was six um, events over the course of between April and November, I think. And um, it was usually focused, and the focus is on two female artists. It's kind of looking to platform female artists a little more um, who through performance. Um, and usually there's a collaboration. It's two artists per session, and they will each perform and talk about their work and then be interviewed by, by Una. So, and it, it's in front of a live audience. So it's a really nice... Um, They've, all the events, it's actually an association with Moving On Music as well. That's right. Yeah. So there's a lovely crowd of people who are interested in different kinds of performance. And um, it's just always a really nice evening. And so it's next Sunday is the first one. It's the second. So they got funding to do another round off them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think it's 8pm in the black box. Yeah, it sounds right, doesn't it? <laughs> Could be 7.30, but come for 7.30 just to be sure. Yeah, because they yeah. have nice food and drink at the Black Box. Oh, anyway, yeah, so. lovely craft ales and lovely wine. Like, it's a really nice way to wind down your and Is um, it in evening. the green room or is it in the big one? No, it's in the main auditorium oh, space. Great. So, um, yeah, so it's set up very nicely in cabaret tables and um, everyone is working from the stage. Um, so I'm kicking this one off. Um and I'm working under my artist name, which is Venus Dupree, who's my DJ name. I'm primarily working as a DJ right now in terms of my performance. Um, and that's something I have worked. I've been a musician um, and played in a band. Um, but I find, I kind of find a love for for particularly dance music now and, yeah. and DJing. But um, we've decided this is a bit different this, this year. So instead of me performing like traditionally I'm going to work alongside another DJ called Marion Hawks who's also here in Belfast and is brilliant and we're gonna do a night that's really looking at the DJ as a performer not just someone who's playing a bit of background music for you in a bar yeah and um looking at that is actually it's also there's a lot of musicianship um involved when you if you're DJing with vinyl or you're a digital DJ you you're curating a sound and you're curating an experience and you know, there's a lot of like like technically I get I love now getting into it thinking about sampling and how you're mixing so um so we want to talk about that a little more and then talk about ourselves also as women working in this industry which most people feel are always like quite surprised to hear that you're a, a female DJ really yeah right. yeah a lot of people would say like oh I don't you don't see many girls DJing and when in fact there's a there's a lot of women producing a lot of women DJing but it's um it's still quite a, a kind of boys' world, actually. Yeah, there's still a lot of sort of um, male bias in, especially the EDM or electronic dance music yeah. sort of circuit. Like, if you think of all of the big name um, DJs, it's kind of a, a man's world still, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, but it's really like progressing a lot. Like, I yeah. think if we use an example of the AVA Music Festival and Conference, mm. which was launched last year. 
here in Titanic Quarter. It's a dance festival. And um, well, the the producer of that is actually a woman called Sarah McBriar. And yeah, she's hi, a, Sarah. Yeah, shout out to Sarah McBriar, Sally McBee, as I like to call her. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but she uh, she's she's brilliant, and like um, I think as a she this festival did a lot. Like from um, it's very grassroots in a way, but like it involved so many DJs, producers, and um, like visual artists who are working in like video work here actually down in Titanic Quarter and, and it was brilliant but the lineup last year was very there's a lot of guys in it I think it was mostly male actually yeah. um, Sarah's brother is Matthew McBriar who's one part of Bicep who are mm. a really well known house um, Jew who are producing from Belfast and they're based in London so they were kind of working on it together but this year's lineup has a lot more women in it um, there's a really cool girl I can't wait to see from Bristol who's called Shanti Celeste Um who else is DJing? But yeah, so I think there's a lot more visibility if you're saying that. It's, yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, um, so that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about a bit more. Well, I think that the Jam Jar series is really great because it is highlighting um, female artists, but in a sort of left field area of music and sound work, especially yeah. the last series had Isabel Anderson, but not doing her sort of folk, pop music yeah. doing her sort of more experimental narrative driven vocal and sound work where yeah. there's like projection on her body and different things really interesting stuff like Una Lee as well doing yeah. sort of Dada inspired sound poetry and performance art uh, Matilde Mirales who's a field recording artist um, and I, I don't know who's coming up in this leg of the series but starting off with the electronic music but from a curatorial standpoint then um yeah that, I mean that's how we're going to look at this one um but there's actually in the series, um, I think she's looking a lot at performance. So there's a, there's actually a girl, I don't know, it was maybe in a couple of months time called Dee Hexen. And she's a really interesting, really kind of abstract performer. Uh, she sings, but she creates all this. She's just beautiful. Actually, she was performing last night in the film festival at a Blade Runner night that they did in the oh, black box. Yes. Um, but she kind of like, creates like a whole character it's how she looks on stage from like her costume and her look she creates all these visuals behind her and then her music is very haunting she's got this really haunting voice and um it's a bit jarring but it's really mesmerizing to watch so I think what Una's looking at a little more this year might be a little more just like performance as well as in like maybe physical performance as well as just like a an audio or performance yes you're making a lot of hand gestures here to I emphasize am. that performance yeah forget we're on radio <laughs> <laughs> i still haven't got the webcam hooked up for the jokes but we will do that someday and will there be jam well this is the thing the last one that i went to i think there was a raffle yeah. yes there's a there's a raffle for a jam um una gets some really nice um uh I, I was going to say handmade jam, but all jams are handmade. <laughs> some some really nice, well picked jam. Yeah, it's right? from Sawyer's, I think, actually. Yeah. In, Cra- in craft in jam, artisan, yeah. artisan. Yeah, but there was. I felt like it was a fix. You were there with me. Yeah. I was there. <laughs> that was controversial. I was there. And you it was were there a, too. Yeah. You were all there. <laughs> it, it was chili jam. And that's how we knew it was a fix. It was chili jam. And who won it? But the biggest chili fan, Paul Stapleton. <laughs> He's a, he's a member, he's a, like a, a colleague of Inna's. See, that's like, a, yeah, that should I be felt, like a terms and yeah, conditions thing. I think you know, so, yeah. TNC, no Sark, people are allowed Paul, to win. Paul Stapleton yeah. cannot enter the raffle. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, we're on to you. Okay. Paul was actually on one of the earlier episodes Chris. of the Jewelcast. Oh. We were talking about uh, his um, improvising and music 
uh, career and what he's sort of doing with the students and also hi Paul we if you want to hear that Hello, go Paul. back on to my just search the jailcase.johndarcy.com and you can find that one this Sunday 8 o'clock at the Black Box in Belfast Jam Jar and hopefully Paul Stapleton won't win the jam this time yeah and you can have a look on the Moving On Music website we'll have a they'll be hosting a page on there that can give you some more details so you're saying you're going to talk a little bit about more of the performance in DJing you're DJing regularly now and you say that you're sort of persona or is it just a name Venus Dupree well Venus Dupree okay came about I don't think I ever thought I was going to DJ I was just asked to do a mix one time for for my brother's friend who ran a radio show at a student radio in Glasgow and um it was like a kind of queer focused in in what he was doing and I did the mix for him and I didn't have a name I didn't want to just be Claire Hall and I had just started to get into interested in a particular scene in New York called the house ballroom community yeah um and uh, this is a community predominantly made up of black and Latino trans men and women um, and LGBT as well. And um, the community was formed, well, officially in the 60s as a reaction to racism, even within a, a gay community. Um, and really it was formed by two people, Crystal LaBeja and Paris Dupree, who were at the time drag queens. I think they, Crystal LaBeja certainly transitioned in her life. And um, they decided that uh, they would form their own pageants that they could compete in and not be criticised for their Negroid features. And um, these them these balls have been running. So they've created all these balls and pageants since the 60s, which are now this very, very vibrant and large community. And in a nutshell, because it's very hard to say this in a nutshell, they formed houses. There was the House of La Beja, the House of Dupree, and all these different houses formed where there was mothers of the house and that was like the best ones. And they would go to balls <clears throat> and compete. And they bring all their children with them who join their house. And if you joined your house, it was like a gang and you'd go and you'd go and win all these prizes at a ball. So maybe you were walking uh, in a category that was like drag, but other the categories just grew and grew and grew. So Venus Dupree comes from an amalgamation of two performers from New York who are part of the house ballroom community. I hear very famous Paris Dupree and Venus Extravaganza. So I put Venus together with Dupree and I was never meant to go anywhere beyond that mix I did for Fraser <laughs> and then it grew and then my interest in the house ballroom community grew and I've ended up in the last year forming a very strong um, bond with various members of the scene who actually visited Belfast in November and performed yeah. here and that was followed on from you were over in New York sort of yeah. doing a bit of research about this whole I spent three months in New York in summer 2013 and my interests were always to look at disco, the rise of disco and house music and to find out about this, this community. Yeah. Um, because I'd seen a film called Paris is Burning, which was a documentary made in the nineties, which brought the whole, um, the whole scene to the forefront of like kind of, um, well, kind of worldwide knowledge about them. Um, it's where Voguing comes from. It's where Madonna took inspiration for Vogue and yeah. Vogue um, is from this community. That's sort of the big criticism of like the, the big stars like Madonna and Michael Jackson that they in their dance moves were sort of cherry picking from and sort of appropriating moves and styles from underground movements happening in New York. Certainly with Madonna, the, the reaction from the community to Madonna is that they hate her. And in the sense that Madonna 
never gave back to the community that she she made so much money off and yeah. never until Paris is burning you wouldn't have known that um that that's where it came from that came from a, a yeah a marginalized like black queer community it was just Madonna sang about Vogue and once you got back then from New York was it an immediate I need to get these people over to Belfast to put on a show and share this with everybody um, in Belfast. Well, initially, you see, I met a filmmaker who was making a film called Kiki, which is a, a kind of a contemporary film being made now. It's the first film made since Paris is Burning, really, that it's gained any ground. But um, she was making it with members of the community. So when I was in New York, I met with Sarah Giordano, who's a Swedish filmmaker, first of all. And she brought me to a couple of balls with her and I met a few people that she was working with. But it was in collaboration with people from the scene, particularly Twiggy Pucci Garcon. She's co-written it with Twiggy. He's this uh, this leader in the in the scene, and this Kiki scene is a is a youth led scene of activists within the main house ballroom community. Okay. So my idea was just to bring her film here, but I, I was definitely yes and in, interested in working with them. But their film just premiered at Sundance this year. Wow. And Berlin Alley. I, I, did I tell you about this? Conan? No, I mean, I've yeah. been following it online, you know. Um, because Conan helped me. Well, so basically the film wasn't ready. So we decided maybe as a precursor to the film, even coming, it would be better if some members of the community came and performed in their Vogue categories or their, their runway categories in a performance here in the Mac, actually. But also talked about the community and talked about it from their uh, it was their voice, not somebody else's voice telling their story, which has happened so often. Yeah. So it was really effective and it was it was a really wonderful event. And we did it in the main auditorium in the Mac and built a catwalk and had people um like everyone was seated around the catwalk and yeah, Twiggy, Chi Chi and Kimora, there were three performers and artists came and told us about their life and their work. And they're so inspiring because they're these very young people, they're only in their mid twenties. And younger and they're activists they look after they look after everyone who's in their kind of community and um and Conan actually helped me he he documented it for me which was wonderful so that's what I'm going to talk about at Jam Jar as well so <laughs> that's where so the Venus Dupree thing um kind of fits into me and initially you said ask me was it a persona I thought it was I thought because I was interested in drag culture that I would maybe try and like be like a female drag queen or whatever mm-hmm. But actually, it's not. No, it's a, that my performance and my identity and that has really evolved to Venus Dupree now kind of fits because I've worked with all the members of the scene. Got a tattoo with them actually as well, which oh, you wow. can't see. Okay. <laughs> um, but I guess I'm always interested in like a, a queer aspect to how dance music came about, which is disco, house music. It all came from underground gay clubs. Yeah, I mean, the. The first time I heard you DJ was at a party in Catalyst Arts. Oh God! Called the Black and Gold Party. I think. Oh yeah. Cast your mind back. <laughs> I do. Can you remember? <laughs> and uh, we arrived in, and it was kind of empty. We were obviously not cool enough to know that you go late to these things, and uh, it was pretty empty. We're in the space you were <laughs> Just DJing, me, yeah. but uh, the sound was amazing. It was a massive. Well, if you don't know the Catalyst Arch space, it was sort of cut in two at this stage, but yeah. still it was a massive reverberating chamber, basically these bare concrete walls and concrete floor and ceiling. And you started playing I'm Coming Out. And the <laughs> drum beat, up. that drum fill at the, yeah. at the start of it, just boomed through the whole place. And it just started as I entered the, yeah. the room. And 
that's one of my favorite musical memories actually of my whole life hearing right. that drum beat in that massive echoing space and then I ran into the room and I, I saw you DJ and I give you a big wave I remember it was yeah. <laughs> You know, I wasn't Venus Dupree then, though. So I that was pre Dupree. Yeah, that was me just playing pre Dupree. <laughs> I think what did I call Stone Stone Gold Fox. I think I called oh. myself for that one. <laughs> um, but it's playing interesting. I think Disney. like where I've come from from then to now is like um, I'm a lot more. I, I don't know. I feel much more confident in in mixing and yeah. not just choosing tracks here and there. Just um, I'm interested in like curating a sound, but then yeah, like God, Diana Ross is an ultimate classic. You can do anything with her. But I suppose now that you've been so ingratiated in the culture that you're probably reaching for deeper cuts now and stuff yeah. that's like a bit more under the radar music wise. Yeah. Cause I think even the first time I would have started DJing, it was like about, and I didn't even want to, I was so reluctant to do it. It was that, as I didn't really like playing in public any songs that I liked because I was really scared of being criticized because I was <laughs> oh, in. Oh no. And I still would never play at a party actually if I wasn't booked to play a party. I would never choose the songs at a party. Oh, you're not one of those party YouTubers who takes no. control of the audio? <laughs> no, I've no interest in doing that because it becomes a, <laughs> it becomes a fight. Yeah. There's always somebody who sits there. I have a, a friend who remained nameless who used to always do that at parties. And it was always bringing it back to like Krautrock as well. Like at a party at the end of the night, we're like, don't want to hear, can, leave it. <laughs> I have been known to some occasionally be that person at parties. I think I turned into that person, unfortunately, at New Year's Eve this year. Oh yeah? Um, but it, and unfortunately it was at a party with uh, a lot of people a couple of years younger than me, so they really didn't appreciate it. It's like, get, get out, old man. No. <laughs> Felt really old. Uh, so you... Let's bring it back to the house event yeah. that happened here at the Mac, actually yeah. where we are, not in this room. What actually happened on the on the night? Okay, so house then so we called it house because it was the it was the an immersive performance through their own words about the history of the house ballroom community in New York. So house seemed like the best word for it. Um All right, can I interject? Because yeah. this is the funny thing whenever house was happening. Yeah. That you know, Looking at you know there was an, there was a really striking image you know that you of used Swiggy, yeah. yeah and you know the blurb and stuff and you know reading about it but yeah. it's a really hard thing to communicate what it is yeah and I remember at the time going uh, you know saying to you know people like I was like yeah. we should really go to this and they're like well what is it and I was like I don't really know <laughs> no I think it's something yeah. that you have to kind of experience you do and geez it was very hard for me to even like find. It's very hard for me really to, to describe what it was going to be too. So we had to work out how to break it down. So it was a performance of two halves. And um, the first half was um, mixed between live performance and a video piece that they had pre-recorded and made in New York. 
And um, so the video, the video piece would be sort of setting the tone um, about the the history of where it came from, about sort of well the history of like racism in America, full stop, and then what it meant to be like black and queer and Latino and queer. And um, but then in between that, then they would each each little kind of video snippet would lead up to describing and presenting what the live performance was going to be. So we had four performances, Twiggy Pichu Garçon, who's on the, who's the striking image on the, on the front. He's like walking down a catwalk in, in a, in a, these balls happen in community centres in Harlem and the Bronx. Like the last one I was at was in the South Bronx and it was brilliant. Like, because it's just like finding a space and making it happen. Yeah. Um. So Twiggy's all dressed in this like category, which was like intergalactic space, realness or something I don't even know but he's painted green and he's got this incredible like couture outfit that somebody's made for him and he just walks runway and runway very simply is you walk like a runway model down down a catwalk and so the catwalk was t-shaped and that's that's what runway is so it would lead up to those performances. so Twiggy did runway and then he did a drag performance where he lip synced the Jennifer Hudson song I don't know what it was but it's beautiful. He came out like beautifully in drag. And then Chi Chi came out and he did a Vogue performance. So he taught us all about what Voguing is. And then Kimura came out and she walks in a category called uh, Face. And Face is when you walk down a runway and everyone, just uh, the judges just base whether that you win on, on how beautiful you are. Right. So they were introducing what these categories are to set the tone of, of how the balls work mm-hmm. and the... Um, element of well activism and, and the importance of the house ballroom community so that was the first half and that's what everyone was expecting everyone who came had seen Paris is Burning they'd been looking at Vogue videos they'd kind of had this little these little connections so they were expecting a live performance but I also then felt that the second half shouldn't be live performance it should be a live discussion where we all came back out in the runway and I interviewed them and we sat so the people seated all around in the flat floor of the Mac like all around the runway and it was a really intimate discussion even though there was 300 odd people in the room and they talked about their they it was brilliant because then you got to see them as people because I realized it had to be documented I had to remember what it was looking yeah. like if, for those this very reason of showing people and then Conan was so brilliant because Conan captured it perfectly yeah how do you document a sort of multifaceted event like this where there's lots of people moving to different spaces and it's sort of a 360 audience well, perspective I mean I thought it was it was quite um, uh, I was really actually pleased that, like Claire had asked um, you know me to document it because it was such a I actually still it, it remains like quite a special like experience you know yeah um, uh, it's certainly something that I had no um, experience of before and I think they like the actual catwalk actually kind of helps to frame, you know. It puts it, it in context. It, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's, it's actually, uh, it was actually quite easy to do because it's kind okay. of just trying to, it's very active as well. So it's just trying to keep like, like the camera alive and capturing, you know, what's happening. But it. Um, but did you, you had a static camera and then you were moving with it's, the other camera? Yeah, I had a, a camera on a... Uh, monopod so I was able to just have a wee bit of movement about and then uh, I'd like a lock off as a kind of wider thing but uh, well that's so I'm going to show some excerpts of it at the jam jar uh, I was just about to ask week. can people watch this anywhere online or mm. is it only going to be screened at no, certain events I'm not keen to publish it because of just um, the nature of everyone involved like I, I don't want it to be I think we might host it I might host it on a website actually once I get everything up and running yeah. but it, um, I, 
again, it's not mine to publish in the sense that um, it's Twiggy, Chichi, Kimura, Kia Labeja who made the, the film visuals as well that, that, were, that were playing behind everyone during the performances. So we'd have to make a decision ourselves whether it should be in a public forum just for everyone to access. Like, yeah. um, But certainly um, we're all using it. Uh, they're on tour in New York or in the, in the States with their film at the moment and they're talking about their trip to Ireland and showing parts of it as well. So yeah. I feel like it's more a good reference point to show people within a context of talking about it. But Conan just like, like you made me cry. I've watched this so many times because I actually couldn't, that week that they were here, you know, I was like a mother. I was like, I felt like I was in a family with them. And, you know, we spent all of our time together. We were kind of preparing the event, working on what the performance was going to look like. Even on the night, you know, I didn't remember half the things I'd even talked about because it was just so like, da 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 da. Mm. And he got it. And there's this like, just all the shots like you've captured people right the right moment <laughs> when you when you've when you've edited it, you know. Yeah. Um, and then there's a bit at the end where like I'm thanking everyone, and my mom actually got on the stage. <laughs> to thank to congratulate me I was so embarrassed at the time I was like mom no but it was wonderful because the whole event like the house ballroom community is based on the foundation of family whether that's your blood family yeah. it's an alternative kinship but it's a family so my mom got up and that was the first time she'd met all of them and then you know I'm like all right everyone then we then we turn up to be real by Cheryl Lynn and you've got the soundtrack perfect and he's filming it and it's me and my mom and my brother and Twiggy and Chi Chi and Kamara all on the stage like hugging and laughing. It's like the end of an indie film. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a really glitzy one because everyone's sequined out. <laughs> should watch Paris is Burning I think everyone should always watch it it's a brilliant document of the time um, looking at the house ballroom community when it really was taking off as a fam- as a big family unit yeah. um, and it's where it's when Vogue in, it's like it's filmed at the time and Madonna's off in the Blonde Ambition tour and she had three members of the house of or two members of the house of extravaganza with her Jose and Luis who um revoking on stage and they're in the Vogue video as well but there's a lot of criticism against the film because it was made by a white filmmaker who kind of capitalized on it and well I don't even know if she did actually there's a lot of controversy around it because it was her telling it was her as an outsider making the documentary whereas the documentary that's just been made the Kiki is made in collaboration with the scene and the the scene Twiggy and Chi Chi approached Sarah to write the film with her and the film's coming here, hopefully. I haven't signed anything, but I would like to bring it here later in the year and bring them back and oh, host another, I'd like to host a ball with them as well. Amazing. So we'll do a lot more workshops. Like there's a lot around it, but it's really empowering. I think that's what it what that's why it was so great that, that Conan did document that for me because um their stories as these kind of young people who are pretty marginalized and cast out in the basis of their gender identity or their sexual orientation. And they have just mobilized themselves and find this like kind of real fierceness. It's, it's brilliant. So yeah, it's a good example actually to set for, for young people to see that. Particularly right now, I feel like, um, 
I think like talking about a trans identity at the moment or a queer identity or whatever is 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 something that there's a lot more discussion around and visibility yeah. around. So I think while that's happening, um, it would be really brilliant to, to bring this example back here as well. For sure. Yeah. But people can see a little bit of it on Sunday at your jam jar. They'll see, they'll see like house. That. They'll see excerpts from house. Um, I may also show a little trailer of Kiki Ooh. and Kiki, like, like Kiki won um, the Teddy award at um, Berlin Alley, which as far as I'm aware is a really prestigious newcomer documentary award. Would yeah. that be right? Yeah. And then they won a lot of awards at Sundance. They just won a human rights award as well. Whoa. It's yeah. So it's special and it's got a lot of momentum behind it. And sorry, Cheryl Lynn to be real features. That's why I was saying it. If, if you look at the <laughs> Paris is burning, the, the soundtrack's brilliant. And it's like, you know, to be real, you've got to be real. <laughs> it's really, really good. <laughs> good well, you are listening to The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. And uh, in case you've missed the start, if you've just tuned in, I am with Claire Hall, who's been talking about her upcoming event at Jam Jar at the Black Box this Sunday. Um, she's going to be showing some excerpts from a event she put on called House, which were documented by my other special guest tonight, Conan McIver, um, who's a local filmmaker uh, based in Belfast, um, but actually not from Belfast originally. No, and this has kind of got some attention recently. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> because because of last weekend or whatever, they... Um... Uh, I was at, actually went home for a family dinner. I'm from Cookstown, Mid Ulster originally. Shout out uh, Cookstown. Baldur. Hello, Cookstown. Shout out to Mid Ulster. I <laughs> never hear that word, that term enough. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. I like uh, people in the oil say Ballandary, but then because obviously there's Lisburn Ballandary, oh, you know, really? I have to kind of qualify it by saying right. Ballandary, Cookstown, Mid Ulster. So I was, I was back home for a family dinner, and, um, and then whenever I came, um, Everybody was asking at the dinner, you know, what I was doing and different things. That was all cool. And then once I got back to Belfast, my auntie was actually at the dinner, had tagged me and the Mid-Ulster meal had, had done a story about Good Boy. Oh, <laughs> uh, about the, the film. And, um, and so, so we were kind of caught by surprise because I had no idea that it was happening. Was, was happen- it like local boy does good? Basically, story, yeah. 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 Did they have a Valentine. really cheesy press shot of you? Yeah, it's in the like. There's a press pack for the film, you know, oh, that goes to the good. festival, and uh, there's a really old photo of me <laughs> with curly hair. It's very dark. It's very moody looking. Well, whenever um, you're out now, plugging your film yeah. and doing your press tours, <laughs> it's Michael, your partner, who's the screenwriter for the film. You 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 direct and produce the film. Michael is is the is the writer. Is, well, that, is that how the relationship works? But so, he, he's he's the mouthpiece. Usually, right? Well, then he should be sitting here, but he, but no, <laughs> Michael, no, Michael's the brains behind the operation, I guess, to be fair. You know, it's interesting because, so Michael's my, my writing partner and my life partner, but um, it's, it's kind of interesting because he was, he really is like a catalyst for me in terms of supporting me and kind of pushing me to kind of yeah. do work. Yeah. I was just going to um, clarify that um, Michael is definitely the writer and producer. Oh, he's the producer. Well, okay. you know, he makes things happen. You know, I'm really bad at. Oh yeah, well, explain this because I think some people, well, a lot of people, the majority of people who haven't really been in the film industry or anything, when they see like director and producer, don't always know what what those roles actually are or mean. So, and what's best boy grip? (laughs) Or gaffer? Who's he? Yeah, and (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, that's that's funny. I mean, these terms, yeah, they. 
they're quite nuanced, I guess, whenever you're in it, but they, they have very specific rules. And then, you know, on a short film, basically you kind of do everything yourself anyway. So yeah. the distinctions are even more, the, 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 the rules are a bit more fluid, I guess. So for instance, in the last film that we just made, Mother's Milk and Cookies, um, we, Michael and I, produced it ourselves. Um, so it was kind of an unfunded um, short. Because I just really wanted just to, I didn't want another year to pass without having made something. And we're kind of working on a couple of bigger projects that they kind of require like a longer kind of lead time. Okay. So I was just kind of keen just to make something. So I'd said to Michael, let's just make it easy for ourselves. And, you know, how, what would it be, what would it be like if we just got two actors in a room and made a film, essentially? And that's what I said to him. And then he just went off and wrote the script, uh, which was Mother's Milk and Cookies, which uh, is a kind of a, it's a story about um, a middle-aged gay couple um, struggling to come out, which I think is kind of not, you know, not a very often told a yeah. common story, you know. Um, but I think it's particular resonance here in Northern Ireland, you mm-hmm. know. For sure, yeah. And so we were really fortunate because we got two great actors, Noel McGee and Nigel Mercier, Mercier, if I can say his name. And they just give up their time to... And we just shot in a day uh, in a friend's house. And the next one, which we're shooting at the end of July around Spelgadam, it's called Dam. And oh, okay. uh, like the, the catalyst for that really was after doing Mother's Milk and Cookies, it was so just shooting something in like one location with two actors was great. But then shooting inside, obviously you need lighting and that. So uh-huh. I was like, right. And I've been a bit inspired by The Revenant. You know, it's mm-hmm. all like natural lighting. I was like, right. So the next stage is to write something for two actors out door like like exterior so basically just turn up a rock you know rock up with a camera and just shoot something so it was mother's milk and cookies you've got a project in the works but the film that's showing this saturday is your first short film produced with michael yeah so good boy is our first film together as a writing directing team um and it's funny with these things, it's like the lead time tends to be so, or, you know, there's like a lag, you know, like we made this film well, over a year ago now. And, and so it's, it's weird, like, that it's taken this long for us to kind of, <laughs> but just the nature of festivals and mm-hmm. you submit, you know, you send it out there and you wait months to hear back and, and so on. So. Can I ask, what's Good Boy about? Yeah, sorry, I probably should have said that at the, <laughs> at the, at the front. Um, so Good Boy um, stars Laura Hughes as Alice, who gave her son up for adoption or she's searching for the son that she gave up for adoption um, before she dies. She's dying from um, cancer. So she, she's trying to find a way, you know, it's, so the whole, the whole setup of the film is that we arrive that uh, Alice has found her son, biological son. And um, she's trying to find a way to introduce herself to him, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of where the film kind of, takes off so i can't really kind of spoil it for you you know you have yeah. to kind of, you'll have to you have to come down and see it to, definitely um, the tricky thing is with short films is how you get across like a really succinct meaty subject in such a short period of time and how much dialogue do you put in how much can you explore a character in that short time scale it's a really interesting form and has this obvious challenges and i think you know that's something i'm constantly learning about it's just you know if you look at how we've evolved and Michael and I you know we're constantly learning to kind of refine and just kind of be more concise with our storytelling so Good Boy was I think it was like nine locations you know with 
I'm trying to think of how all the cast members. There's like five, five cast members plus dog plus dog. So and, and we broke the rules. Like we were, we had a child and a dog oh and God. a dog. So you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just try all the really hard stuff in your first film. Yeah, and we shot it in two days. You know, which was amazing. Like. I didn't realize what we had actually achieved at the time because whenever I would say to people afterwards, you know, well over the two day shoot and they were kind of taken back. They were like, you shot this in two days? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, when I saw the sort of the breadth of what was in there, so much stuff crammed in different angles and shots. And even thinking about when, if you're out with a camera, right, trying to get good light and good takes of things. Like any of those shots could have taken like a whole day to get, but you mm. did all of that in two days. Yeah, I mean, it was really, we were just, yeah. we were just lucky. And also, I mean, we had a really, um, thank, fortunately, we had a really strong crew that like Angus, our DOP, is a re- like he is so quick and he has like a really tight team that he works with. And also we did a lot of prep in terms of try- finding locations. So we shot it all in Dundrum, uh, mm-hmm. outside Newcastle County Town. And so we have good friends down there. I'll give a shout out to Bridgine. And, Hi, um, Bridgine. <laughs> she has a pub down there, Gilroy's. So that was her unit base. I mean, she really sold the, the location to us. She was, we were talking to her about uh, our film and she was like, well, you, we have all those locations here. And so when we looked at them, I mean, obviously the one of the kind of the strong images of our key images of the film is uh, uh, Mark, who's played by Declan Rogers. Running, he's running on the beach, and and this is where Alice, played by Laura Hughes, is trying to have this happenstance meeting with him, you know, on the beach. So of course we had this lovely setting of Murloc Beach, wow. you know, with the Moor Mountains and everything. And I mean, it's just unlike anywhere, anywhere else. You know, we were looking at different places, you know, coast, coastal places that we are um, beaches that we could shoot, but just nothing really compares to Murloc Beach. Yeah, some beautiful shots in that film as well, but also some really intimate interior moments as well. Um, and it's quite mysterious the way the story plays out within the film. Again, it's a short film, so it's it's all it's all packed into this short time scale. But you're left wondering um, about certain things, and so there's so there's room for the audience's own interpretation. Yeah, it does. I mean, what my intention with the film was that it kind of like ends on a, on a bit of a, not a sour note, but a note that it's like bittersweet, you know? So it's not a kind of happy tied up kind of story. So we don't have this complete kind of story arc that, you know, everybody goes very happy with at the end, but there's a kind of a hope, hopefulness about it. Yeah. So we're kind of left with this idea that things maybe, things will maybe work out, um, which I think is kind of like life. And that's what I like about that film, you know, is that it, it's, sensitive and subtle and you know it maybe doesn't yeah it doesn't lay it all out for you you know so you have to kind of work work with it a wee bit so that was so good boy was your first short film but actually i knew you for a while before this um for your other work because i always knew you as a video artist yeah and i guess this is closer to how you were collaborating with claire um doing video art either through sort of documentary or through these sort of abstract uh, installations but also doing um, video pieces to be involved in theatre productions yeah and can I just say you know so it's interesting because this is how I, I don't think we could do an interview without mentioning giving a shout out to Delaware oh Delaware um, <laughs> yeah yeah Claire, can you very briefly explain what Delaware is yeah. for people who don't oh Delaware which sounds like nothing so it's a really weird <laughs> word was a was a house this house I lived in in, in the, uh, just off the Lisburn Road this Victorian house it was like three stories high, a uh, huge 
Like it was kind of like almost like saddest house in a yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like Miss Havisham you would expect to have lived there. It was just full of like old like antiques, or whatever. But um, four of us lived there, and it was it was an art space. We had an art gallery in it. We used it for gigs and performance space in it. It kind of was for a while, just like and it was a house of artists and musicians. Yeah, and it was a nice kind of there. mecca where things just happened. Uh, Delawab or dreams come true <laughs> but that's where I met Conan yeah probably just in my hallway yeah and he used to come to everything I I, I was obsessed with it you and know? he never and that's the thing then he never uh, and I never showed anything of it, never yeah. showed anything there yeah well it doesn't matter you can mm. choose <laughs> you've got you're in the film festival yeah <laughs> never mind Delawab <laughs> screw Delawab I, I was a bit late to the party I sort of that was just a little bit before my time and I was only at just as I think who was the last people living in there was it Keith was still there like yeah yeah he was the last the to go yeah. and there was a couple of parties um, maybe like a New Year's sort of things happening um, yeah. where maybe you were DJing at a couple of them yeah um, one of them again though I mean I think I played Rihanna's Love in a Hopeless Place at Midnight I can't imagine that's where I would go to now <laughs> I, some people loved we've it we've all grown we've all grown, we've all grown yeah <laughs> but, but so, it's interesting because we like I know like I would have remembered you maybe like at the like I'm, I'm pointing to John here and um, yeah. you know John being about but we never no and interacted until like randomly at uh, Michael's best friend's parents' house. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird. And yeah. I got talking to you, Michael, yeah. and then I think I had recognised you from hanging out with Gassia around yeah. Belfast at certain events. Um, or maybe when I was with Gassia, you'd be with out with other people and then chat here for a bit, and I'd be like. He's not, he's not in the music scene. Who's he? <laughs> and, and, and then I chatted to you at this party and then and the found weird, out who you were. Yeah. No, but the weirdest thing about that party was, um, so not only was it very, a, a, a re, like a six degrees of separation type scenario, mm. but like it was like 10 degrees of separation or something. It was really weird. But also your dad also had just commissioned me for the Open University that's At right, which proves that there was no nepotism involved because <laughs> I didn't know you. Yeah, um, but yeah, you had you got the commission um, for think, the Open University's yeah. University of the Air centenary celebration. Um, yes, and you did so a public uh, art piece yeah, in the kind of a, grounds of City Hall projections. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and they were really cool because it was it was visuals projected onto these fishing wire frames that yeah. you had made instead of like a normal so white canvas. So screens that were kind of fabricated by oh thirty five miles of fishing wire. Oh, it's a nightmare. And you made them <laughs> yourself as well. I made them myself. Yeah. Well, of myself, I say I made them myself. I really, my dad made them. <laughs> Dads <laughs> are great. Dads are great. But, you know, particularly whenever you've had a dad who's a welder. You know, um, so. But did that, Conan? Um, just thinking about that, did that made them kind of look like holograms. Those projections, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, so the whole that kind of harks back to a theatre production I was working on at the time, or before, sorry, um, called Planet Belfast, who which was in the Mac here. And yeah. with uh, Tinderbox Theatre Company, I we were working. I was working with Kieran Bagan, who's a great set designer, um, he's brilliant, and lighting designer as well. And uh, he's phenomenal. And uh, we were trying to. We were just kind of Mick Juki, who's the director, really wanted just to kind of challenge. You know how we were going to incorporate this projection and design into this, this story. I think Kieran and I were brainstorming, and I had I had used to work in retail doing. Uh, windows and okay. so we used to always use fishing wire 
because um, to suspend things. Yeah. yeah. And I always really liked the fact that it, uh, the way it interacted with the light was quite interesting because it could be at times, depending on how you light it, mm-hmm. it can be invisible or it can be very um, almost like not fluorescent is the word I'm looking for. It's uh, some iridescent. No. Yeah. Iridescent I, sounds like the right word. Yeah. I'll, let's go with iridescent. <laughs> Glowing, shiny. Glowing, yeah. shining. There's incandescent. There's like candles. And then Ca- there's oh, another can- one that is like blue light. Um, but I forget. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I, this always kind of registered with me. And uh, so then I started to kind of, um, so we basically, we, we, t- we looked at this and I kind of made up this test screen and we were like really impressed with how it kind of, it splits the kind of image, the way it kind of, mm. the interaction of it uh, with projection. And um, this is where the title of the show came out of, you know, um, the fact that it, it becomes very luminous kind of, and luminous the, was the word, I and guess. The, the whole project was called Luminous, luminous Curious Journey. Journey, of which the city hall was the luminous part, I guess. Of the, yeah, and actually, um, funny enough, I got asked uh, by the Ulster Hall because they were sort of hosting a couple of readings and workshops uh, because at the time I was doing the Belfast City Choir Project um, where I would do these literature-themed walks where the audience would become part of this like sort of group chorus and we would improvise uh, songs based on local literature like Sinead Morrissey, Kieran Carson, Alan Gillis, um, texts about Belfast and its regeneration and redevelopment post-troubles. And Jan Carson, who was programming at the Ulster Hall at the time, um, thought it would be cool to get us to do like a sort of walking tour as part of this. And so we're walking past your projection as it's happening. In yes. the, so it's all, all sort of linked together. And then was it a couple of months or maybe even a year down the line, we got brought together again because uh, Matt Green, he was applying to do a public arts project, which eventually did get funded and happened in Dublin called yeah. Tolkienites. It's interesting because I think, um, so I think Matt was looking because there was a lot of sound people involved. Yeah. And so I think Matt was kind of looking for somebody visual, which is kind of ironic because now or in the end, everybody ended up making films. Which, I know, right. Which is really bizarre. You know? I was the only one who ended up doing like a But a you still had a film thing. component to yours? I did, yeah. I ended up having an animation, which you um, actually made. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and we had great fun on that project because it involved a lot of trips down to Dublin. Um, Claire, because you don't know, we'll explain to you and the yeah, audience. Yeah. Uh, it was all about this river, which was flooding a lot, called mm-hmm. the River Tolkien in Dublin. Really long history of floods there and sort of its effect on the communities locally around the area. And they had just spent a lot of money getting this um, sort of fixed in certain ways. So certain areas in these townlands and towns called Dunboyne and Clonny and Meath mm-hmm. and Dublin. Um, so they would get less affected. And so the flooding plains wouldn't be flooding plains anymore, hopefully. So lots of infrastructure put in place as part of that. Uh, you know, they used that percent for the arch scheme. And that's what paid for this project to happen. And we engaged with local communities. I brought my Belfast City Choir um, project down and okay. sort of did Tolka chorus nice. and we used local literature uh, based around the Tolka and actually used maps of the floodplains to use as like a graphic score mm-hmm. as well and we went out on walks and sang with the river and Conan documented all that lovingly for us but your part of the project was to make a short film. So I wanted to make a, uh, because people had kind of different focuses, uh, different things that they were interested in uh, with this river. It's a really interesting river. You probably have never heard of it. Um, or well, maybe you have. I'm not I sure. I have. I only know of it through your project. Like I was oh, aware really? of your project happening, uh-huh. 
Um, and I, well, because I'm friends with Matt as well. Of course, yes. But um, but I couldn't make it because I had to move house. Whatever. <laughs> on that day. Yeah. And I was a bit like, I was like, could I just get a bus to Dublin and get back and then get up next morning and move house? Was like, it was, it was, it was kind of, uh, it was weird because also it completely flooded. Like, Do you know what not the, the river essentially, but it was, it was torrential rain. Wow. Oh yeah, time. I knew yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, the, the center piece of the output of the project was this live event which involved a performance of the Tolka Chorus or the Tolka Chorus and uh, screenings of the films and videos that were made, the documentaries and things like that. But it was done in a park, obviously, uh, that a, a park in Blanchardstown, um, just on the north of Dublin, that the river ran through. And of course, luck might have it that the night we did it was poured all day and all through the, the time of the performance. Which actually, looking back, fitting with, it was fitting. <laughs> it was very <laughs> we fitting. Yeah. Uh, but looking back then, for me, the major sort of outputs for the project were actually the engagements we did before the project, the engagements with local community, mm-hmm. community groups and um, wildlife associations and different people, experts on the area. Um, and the other parts of the output were these two events, either side of the screening night. One was a symposium in the National Botanic Gardens in Dublin and one was a pub quiz. So we actually devised our own pub quiz based on everything we had learned about the Tolka, the wildlife and the okay. flora, the fauna, mythology that Conan explored through his Our Lady of the Tolka film. So yeah, so the film I made called Our Lady of the Tolka, which is its name taken from a poem, turn of century kind of poem about the, 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 this idea of the Tolka being watched over by Our, our Lady. And, and I think there's something like uh, seven or eight kind of statues of the Virgin Mary along the River Tolka oh. at different points. Um, so it seems to have this kind of relationship with Mary. So I kind of created this experimental film that uh, starring Susan Davy as this kind of Lady of the Tolka character, her journey in, through time, if you like. Um, I think we're going to have to, this has been really interesting getting the three of us together. Yeah. Um, I think we'll have to leave it there, but I'd love to chat all day. Actually, do you know what? I'll just come to your screening on yeah. Saturday morning, Conan, and I'll come to your event yes, there on um, Sunday night. Yes. And then we can hang out again. Yeah, let's just just spend next weekend together. I mean, I've got my film festival pass, so I'm I'm up there from next (laughs) (laughs) next Saturday getting the gate of it. Cool. Um, so thanks a million Claire Hall and Conan McIver this has been The Jewel Case with me John Darcy you can catch all the old episodes online just search for The Jewel Case do you know what will we we end on a little song yeah I think we should will all our stuff's happen in this weekend Saturday morning we've got Conan's uh, film showing at Belfast Film Festival Uh, you've got your gig on Saturday evening at the Black Box Claire uh, have we got a song that would maybe sum that all up together? We have. Uh, I think we should play, it's one of my favourite tracks to play out, um, and it's called Weekend by Class Action. It's like, baby, we'll find a way to spend the weekend. Ah!